Welcome to Enacting the Kingdom, a podcast about liturgical worship. My name is Father Yuri Gladio, and I'm an Orthodox Christian priest with a lifelong desire to keep learning. I'm joined by my teacher and friend, Father Jeffrey Reddy. Father Jeffrey holds a doctorate in liturgical theology and is the co-director of the Orthodox School of Theology at the University of Toronto. Every three weeks, Father Jeffrey and I release an hour-long episode regarding an aspect of Orthodox life. However, only patrons get access to the last half hour of our discussion. If you'd like to hear the rest of this conversation, you can head over to pryingpriest.com support. But for now, enjoy the first half of this double feature. Today we're talking about minimalism, Father Jeffrey. That sounds like a short episode. It's going to be very short. So thank you, everyone, for coming to listen to our show today, and we'll see <laughs> you next week. We should always model what we advise, right? Exactly. I was reading a book on how to have impossible conversations, and one of, the, <laughs> one of the rules they give is to model the behavior that you want to see in others when you're having a conversation. Mm-hmm. So, you know, <laughs> well, we want uh, people to you know, minimize, so we're going to just cut the episode here. Right. A good thing they can't see what we're not wearing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we're not video chatting this. Yeah. So anyways, um, we're talking about minimalism today and and I want to make a distinction. We're not talking about minimalist design or architecture. We're talking about minimalism, the lifestyle for a better way of, of, uh, for for lack of a better term. Um, Minimalism is something that's developed recently in our culture. Uh, Minimalism, like it goes, the principles of minimalism as a lifestyle go back to, you know, uh, ancient Greek times and things like that. But the modern expression of this thing we call minimalism came up, especially after the stock market crash in the, and in 2008. And it's, uh, it's a way of living very intentionally. Everything that you own uh, needs to have a purpose. Uh, Beauty is also a purpose. It's not just, it's not utilitarian as utilitarianism. Um, and then particularly today, Father Jeffrey, we're going to talk about two documentaries that came out, uh, one in 2016 and one in 2021, January 1st, 2021. Uh, the 2016 movie is documentary is called Minimalism. And the 2021 movie, it's more like a special, not quite like a documentary, more like a special was released uh, is called Less Is Now. And those both of those movies were released by uh, t- uh, a group called The Minimalists. And it's two men, Joshua Fields Milburn and Ryan Nicodemus. And they are, you know, quote, The Minimalists. That's their website. You can go there. You can listen to their podcast. Uh, cards on the table, Father Jeffrey. I'm a patron of The Minimalists. Um, and I have been for a while. I very much enjoy their work. Um, and yeah, I, I, I've been exposed to them for a while, but you, Father Jeffrey, I, I think you've, you watched the movies in preparation for this episode upon my invitation. Is that right? That's right. So I, I mean, I, I'm familiar with the concepts of what they're talking about, but I had not ever seen these two gentlemen or heard, um, their stories. So that was quite interesting to explore. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering, Father Jeffrey, if you could give a quick, impression of i believe you watched less is now first and that's the 2021 movie mm-hmm. could you give a quick impression um a very baseline what were your first reactions to the movie and things like that i mean i suppose the overwhelming sense would be of of 
being convicted, right? I think you know when they talk about the things they talk about. I mean, we none of us are unaware. Uh, I think you would have to be, you know, very uh, naive indeed to to not sense what problems you know they're trying to address. I mean, it's everything from the personal psychological problems, the stress, and uh, you know, just the the misery that most people live our our lives with, you know, because of the society we live in, that the pressure of you know, having to acquire and own so much just in order to kind of keep up with with society is enormous, and it, it's causing you know great problems. But then, of course, there's the wider, you know, social and even environmental you know issues. So we hear about these things all the time. But what I think was quite useful was how uh, not only you know were these things drawn together in one place and, and kind of made sense of, but that the solutions are really quite straightforward and they involve some very basic practical steps that aren't necessarily overly dramatic or radical. I mean, I think they've emphasized you know, numerous points that this is not a radical philosophy. It's actually quite, you know, in orthodox terms, it's the royal path, uh, you know, between extremes. Um, goes right back to Aristotle as a principle. You mentioned the ancient Greeks. Um, but the way that they, you know, they draw on ancient wisdom, you know, in preparation for this, I was going and looking up some of the things they'd written as well, or websites that you know they themselves have been quoted on. And what struck me is, you know, how interesting it is that, you know, when you get like a website that talks about, you know, here's a bunch of minimalist quotes that will you know, perfectly illustrate that less is more. And then the, the figures that get quoted are everybody from, you know, the Bertrand Russells and the Henry David Thoreaus to Epicurus and St. Basil the Great and Buddha, you know, so the, this draws on sort of a practical human wisdom, a phronesis in, in Aristotelian and New Testament terms you know, this practical, pragmatic way of, of living that is just a healthy way of being. And I, that's that was my overwhelming sense that on the one hand, you know, conviction that, you know, somehow I've never acted on this practical wisdom. I'm aware of it. I'm aware of the problems that this, this is meant to address, but that, you know, somehow these guys who are in a completely non-Christian context, at least it's not overt if there's anything behind that, you know, in their own um, li lives or philosophies or whatever, but, you know, from a completely non-Christian perspective, they've drawn on this ancient wisdom and applied it in a very easy to do way today to kind of address what are the fundamental human problems that we face. You mentioned that it isn't uh, that they're not doing anything extreme, right? That they seem to be this middle way. And that can often be misunderstood when you look at it from the outside, right? When somebody says, oh, I'm a minimalist or I'm del delving into minimalism, it might feel like they are being radicalized, right? Or that they're going to do something very radical. Well, exactly. And, and and this is where actually I thought the, the more recent film, the special, as you call it, from, you know, early 2021 here, uh, was a lot more helpful because I think it, it, it it was a balanced, you know, uh, perspective and uh, new expression of a lot of people's different stories, but they all struck me as being fairly normal people. These were not people opting out of society, right? Uh, this was not about the log cabin, cutting off your electricity, getting rid of everything and, and kind of living that, that hermit, you know, lifestyle or even sort of some kind of hippie, you know, uh, philosophy of, of some kind. 
the, the earlier documentary, when I watched that afterwards, it struck me as being somewhat misleading on that score. I mean, it focuses on some fairly extreme examples, the, the gentleman who decides to, you know, sell everything and travel the world with what he can carry in two small bags, right? And this is his whole life. He calls himself multiple times homeless, although he then qualifies that as one home full, because I've had lots of homes. <laughs> you know, he's never actually sleeping in the streets. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. but but his story is one that I think would put people off the whole project or, or not put them off necessarily, but they might say, I admire that. Right? Or this is this some, you know, example of, of heroic, you know, courage and, and, and isn't that marvelous? But our, our normal attitude towards heroes like that in the kind of American individualist sense is that, you know, these are one offs, right? That, that they are to be admired, held up. We could write books and, 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 and film documentaries about them, but it's not actually going to touch you know, my life, the same way a lot of people read saints' lives in the Orthodox Church, right? That we've, we've separated them just far enough from us so that they don't actually have to affect the way that we live. Whereas what we should be doing in all of these instances is actually finding how this is a story, you know, for us. And I think that first documentary in a few ways put people maybe to think about it in this kind of, he, here's admirable but extreme examples. Whereas the, the, the more recent one tells the story, I think, a lot better that in fact, you know, although they're not proselytizing, they make that clear, you know, they're not telling people or, you know, this is the propaganda you need to live by. They're saying it's a recipe, it's a way of, of life, it's a template as a word they've used, uh, you know, a few times, uh, you know, a pattern of life and, and so forth. But, but ultimately, if we are going to succeed as human beings, as the social, communal, interdependent human beings that orthodox theological anthropology tells us that we are, and if we're not going to wreck the planet in the bargain, then this is precisely what we need to do. And I think in some really fundamental ways, this connects to the orthodox projection or template or pattern of life that is fundamentally ascetic, but ascetic not in a you know, extreme individualistic, heroic way, but ascetic in the way of saying, you know, this is the real materialism. You know, of all the things that were said in the two films, I think that the most striking thing I, it was Juliet Shore. She's a professor of theology at, uh, or sociology rather at, at Boston College. And she said that actually what this is all about is not becoming less materialist because ultimately this obsession with the material we have is a kind of symbolic one and it's about acquiring things for what it does to our status and other things but actually we need to become proper materialists who understand the value of things the value you know what, what 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 things can bring to us and i think from a christian an Orthodox Christian in particular, creational, you know, that we've just celebrated recently the incarnation and theophany and the great blessing of water and so forth. And all of that suggests that the things matter. God has entered into things, but it's, we are properly materialist, but to live that way is ascetic is to say, I'm going to, I'm going to enter into the world of material creation in such a way that I properly value it rather than try to possess it, rather than trying to use it for some purpose of, you know, putting me up the ladder of, of status in, in late modern capitalist consumerist culture and, and so forth. So it's fascinating how all these things kind of intersect and there's a lot going on in my mind in terms of, you know, connections being made with this ancient wisdom and, you know, modern socioeconomic political, you know, thought and 
trends and, and things like that. So anyway, I, I'm, I'm enjoying this, this moment and, and hopefully like you, I can, you know, start to pare down my, uh, my closet, uh, and mm -hmm. other things, you know, we, in the time we're recording this, We've just celebrated on Sunday uh, St. Anthony the Great, you know, the, the great father of kind of uh, monasticism and asceticism and everything. And uh, there's a story in his life which uh, is particularly convicting to me, and that is, you know, some people come out to him and, and they're looking around and seeing how he lives, which ultimately is not this individualistic, heroic, you know, kind of model. It's a total interdependent valuing people over things and valuing things for what they are and so forth. But they, they, the thing they ask him is, um, where are your books? <laughs> <laughs> how can you be a Christian? How can you be saved without books? You know, and I just sort of think uh, a lot of us who are Orthodox Christians, those of us who teach, who study, and so forth, you know, books have become such an important, you know, part of it. But it's not that we necessarily, you know, divest ourselves of books. I think at one point the minimalists themselves get asked this question, right? You know, I've got this marvelous book collection that I enjoy. I like the, the feel of the books, the smell of the books, but I also really like reading them and sharing discussions with others and lending these books to other people. You know, so I mean, but they, they, their response to that is precisely, well, no, as a shared interdependent kind of aspect of community, that is what good things are like. That is the things you should value, right? Yeah. Keep, keep your books, they say. Keep your books, they say. But I mean, maybe not all of them, because I think we, we own an awful lot more than, than we need or that actually do contribute to that valuable purpose of, of, of community, of, of shared, you know, experience and discussion of, of taking things forward. Of course, coming back to St. Anthony, his response was, I, you know, look around you, like the whole of creation is my book. Right. So it's not that possessing less was an anti-creational, anti-material stance for him. It, to possess less and to get was to get back to a, a perspective on things that allowed him to actually inherit the earth. Right. The whole of creation is is our book in that way. And so if we can get that perspective, we can probably pare down even our libraries. I'm saying that mostly to myself. <laughs> mm hmm. Mm hmm. I'm a weird priest in that I don't like having books around and I try, I, I, I have a lot of digital books, right? My Kobo and through Logos Bible software. Mm -hmm. And that's where I'm focusing my energy. If I, if I need a book, I will get it there and not get a physical copy and actually get rid of my physical copies and give them to other people. Um, at, for St. Nicholas Day here at St. Maria, I actually took a bunch of my books, wrapped them up and handed them out to people as gifts uh, at, at St. Maria's here. Um, just to get rid of them, and people really appreciate. It. People like getting uh, like getting books. So, well, yeah, particularly um, ones that have come. You know, and in that case, you know that, that that is part of that. You know, this is the our our community life together is somehow expressed in the sharing of this resource, right? And so, you know, whether you're lending or giving away in that way, you know, it becomes a kind of shared part of our, our human journey together. I mean, books and their ideas and the discussions that come out of them can be such a, an absolutely fundamental part of who we are, you know, as humans. So I guess I'm using that example, you know, because you know, it's easy to say, yeah, the, the, the gadgets that we replace every six months or the, the closets we have full of shoes or clothes that we don't wear. Or, you know, I think one of the things that comes up in the, in the second, more recent uh, of the films is 
you know, the, uh, so they're, they're talking to somebody in St. Pete Beach or something, you know, so in a place where there's not a lot of winter, but the person had like 20 odd winter coats or whatever, you know, for, from the maybe three just days in case, of the year, know, just, in case. just in case, you know, and then, you know, you do read someone like St. Basil the Great, who says that, you know, that second coat that you have, you've stolen from the poor. Right. I mean, the, the, the fathers do not mince their word. This is not new stuff. Right. In fact, if anything, you know, our tradition should be even more, you know, persuasive and convicting, uh, you know, of these ideas than the very, very gentle and, uh, you know, laid back minimalist guys who, you know, but in any case, my point about the books is that, you know, if even, you know, the, when we're thinking about you know the, the the gadgets and the clothes and everything you know the, the, these are you know things that we should definitely be addressing in terms of our, our ownership and, and so forth but if, if it even applies to the things that are fundamentally you know constitutive of our relationships and everything where we need to be assessing you know, do we need to have ten thousand books in in our library and the, the answer probably is no and one of the quotes that I came across in, in looking at, you know, some of these sites or whatever was, um, uh, it was a quote from Marie Kondo. And of course she's famous for organization, I believe, and things like that. Right. And so she factors into the, you know, this whole movement, but, um, you know, she, she says, if we really delve into the reasons why we don't let things go, right. Uh, there are only two. And she says, that's an, either an attachment to the past or a fear for the future. And that really got me thinking, you know, so, you know, and I think of so many things in so many drawers on so many shelves and so many closets or, you know, around, you know, my own home of things that you sort of think, I'm not, I'm not hanging on to this because I actually value it now, but I'm, you know, it's either some kind of attachment to the past, right? So maybe the memories that it, that it, you know, brings me, although the minimalists will point out that our memories are actually in us, not in the things, you know, that's been a kind of, you know, projection of, mm-hmm. on our part. But I suppose it's even more this fear of the future. What if I do need it someday, you know? So that my, look, again, I look at my library and I think, you know, okay, I'm not reading that now. Uh, I may never have actually read fully that book. And so it doesn't really have any value to me. So I could easily give it away, except that what happens that day when I do need it, right? Um, you know, so that's a fear for, you know, if I will have to kind of reacquire it or whatever. But it's all kind of based on these false ideas and, and pretenses that, that we live with. But uh, so I admire the being able to get rid of book, uh, you know, uh, books as you go along. I, I do prefer physical books when I'm reading to digital ones. I just think, you know, we're already enough in, in front of screens. But like you, I'm finding, particularly during this pandemic, um, I don't have access to most of the books I own on theology because they're in my office at the university and we're not really supposed to go there at this time. And so I'm taking advantage of um you know, the digital things and finding it, you know, it's, it's quite clever to be able to carry around in a whole library, just in a, in a pocket form. And, and maybe it is possible to live in two bags and travel the world and still have access to everything I properly value and need. Right. So yeah. uh, anyway, I know this is a, a lot of, you know, kind of <laughs> jumbled up thoughts and everything, but that's kind no, of what the, res- that's the response you have to these, these films, because it, it addresses every part of your life. Right. And, and mm-hmm. it really gets you to, to kind of rethink. Um, you know, what, what we do on a daily basis. Yeah. One of the things that I want to point out uh, that they, that they talk about not so much in the movie, but more so in the podcast is that 
that they point out these two extremes, right? Hoarding and Spartanism. And, mm-hmm. and, and these are technical, technical terms, right? So hoarding would be the compulsion to keep, keep, keep everything, everything, everything. And then Spartanism would be the, the inability to keep, right? So get, getting rid of everything, everything, everything to the point where you're, you know, living on the street. Um, and th- that it, it's, a, it's a condition that some people have. And uh, what, what minimalism seeks to do is to find that middle way, right? That, that not to be, uh, I think in Less Is Now, Josh, uh, Joshua Fields Milburn, he says that uh, organizing is, so, so being well-organized is being like a well-planned hoarder. Yeah, and that that always struck me as uh, we we I think in general because we are sold so many things, right? We're told we need this, we need that, we need that. Then we tend to lean towards that hoarding side of things. But then if we're organized, then we're just we just sort of become well planned hoarders. I like that, and that kind of addresses what I was saying before about the fear and everything. Because you know, my sense of you know why I would want to hang on to things is well, what if I need it one day and everything? Well, maybe that actually points less to you know a, a sensible you know preparation for the future, right? You know, the idea of having everything on hand that I need, and more to just bad planning. You know, and, uh, and and maybe some of it, and this was inspired, you know, by your giving away books into your community and everything. I mean, suppose you did need access to that book again. Well, you know who you gave it to, right? So uh, yeah, why, yeah. why don't we actually reintroduce the idea of kind of community ownership uh, of things? And it struck me in the, I think it was the earlier documentary, we were talking to, to one, uh, it wasn't the minimalist, but a, another guy in the same kind of vein or whatever, but, but they had, they were living in New York city, I believe, right in Manhattan and moved down to a very, very small flat, uh, and found, you know, they had to go, obviously get rid of a lot of stuff, but, but then what, what came out of that was relationships with other people who were doing similar things. And they knew that, okay, I don't have this kitchen gadget, for example, right? Cause I mean, that's the other thing, you know, we hang on to all these kitchen gadgets. Cause what happens when that one time per year, every five years, we want to make that one recipe that requires this, right? Well, why do you have to hang on, on your countertop or in your cupboard to the device that you're only using so sparingly? So, but if you're in a community, this is the interdependence I'm talking about, you know, when St. Anthony goes out and all the monks are depending on each other and depending on the church and so forth. It's not mm-hmm. that they didn't own anything. It's they owned everything because they held it in common. And, and so, you know, this family in Manhattan, you know, they knew that, you know, their neighbors or their friends had this thing and they could borrow that back like they could lend out, you know, their things. So that could be done with, with books or even with, you know, I think the, 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 the wife in that uh, family, she mentioned that she needed a dress for a particular occasion, right? And so she thought in the past, you know, when she wasn't thinking along these lines, the first thing was go to the shops. I'll go and buy a dress for this event that's coming up. And instead she thought, well, no, I've cut back on my wardrobe. Uh, let me go and talk to my friends. And sure enough, you know, in a very short period of time, she got access to something that she could wear uh, for that one event and so forth. But we just, we're just not thinking along these lines. We, we, we think that to, to, of access and to use something is to own it. Right. And, and that goes right you know, down the line in, in all these considerations, everything from the homes that we're in to the 
vehicles that we drive. And, and I think one of the interesting things that, you know, maybe ironically, because technology can be a part of the problem here in terms of owning lots of gadgets and everything, but technology actually does afford us the opportunity to enter into kind of a more shared economy this way. So, you know, we think about the, the rise of things like car sharing that have taken place in the last few years where the technology, the apps and so forth enable, you know, the scheduling of, of shared ownership over things, you know, fractional ownership of cars or, or whatever, or, you know, where you, you don't need a yacht. You can, you can have a one tenth part of a yacht, you know, to, to satisfy that part of your, you know, uh, hobby or, or, or interest in, in, in things and that sort of thing. So I, I think there's a lot that we can do. If we put our human creativity you know, together with a kind of approach that says we do not need to be at the extremes of this, we can develop a, a way of living together that is sustainable for the planet, healthy for us as human beings, that that finally frees up all that extra time we were meant to have. You know, the 100 years ago, the promise of technology and industrialization and so forth was that we wouldn't have to work as hard, Right. Go back and read, you know, the documents of at the outset of, of this era was, you know, by the end of the 20th century, nobody's going to have to work above five or 10 hours a week because we'll have all these labor saving devices. Well, that was the lie that, you know, that, that, that we're now working harder and we're st more stressed out than ever before, but we could actually unpack and release that, that, uh, labor saving time saving you know potential of our of our society if we actually learn to to kind of share and live together you know around yeah. some of those things live a more balanced you know life the greatest lesson that i've taken from being you know a, a podcast listener of the of the minimalist watching the documentaries reading some books becoming a patron and and all that one of the biggest lessons that i've taken from it is to literally sit down with pen and paper and define what is enough, right? I, I think so many of us don't actually know what we need to survive. And I'm using need in particular, right? What we need to actually get by. And therefore, we get tricked into thinking that we need all of these things, right? Whether it's the, the, the newest spatula or the, or the iPhone or the, or the car, we, we don't actually, if you sit down and with pen and paper and define what you need and, and your sort of family or personal values and write it down on a piece of paper, it helps so much in the future not to get tricked into buying things that you don't need. Right. Um, right. For example, a big SUV, a big expensive SUV, though it might tempt me, it does not serve what me and Nikaila need right now. Mm -hmm. There's no purpose for it, and and we know that because we wrote it down. Like it does, it just simply does not fit right now, and that could change in the future. I was telling Nikaila, maybe we're going to have seven or eight kids. You know, we need a nice big SUV, and she says, ah, you might want to rethink that number. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, I, I think that not enough of us actually can answer the question, what is enough for you? Yeah. And I mean, a couple of things come to mind, you know, as you say that, and it, it relates to what you said before about, um, 
you know, aiming for something in the middle of, of the extremes. So the, the problem is how we define the extremes, right? When, when, I just, when I look at, you know, without thinking in the way, in the intentional way you've talked about, right, sitting down and actually assessing that question of what's enough, I mean, the, the obvious thing to do is look around, right? And so long as there are people who have less than us and people who have, this is important, more than us, we think we're in the middle, no matter where we're at. Right. And the, the reality is no matter how far we go up that totem pole of status and wealth and, you know, acquiring things in our society, we'll always be able to look to both sides. Right. There's, I mean, there's only one person ultimately uh, changes maybe, you know, over time who's at the very, very top of that list. But even the hyper rich probably assume, well, they don't quite have enough because look over there, right? So our way of assessing enough is so formed by this looking, you know, around us, looking around, you know, if we happen to live in a particular area of the city uh, or, or, you know, wherever we're living, and, and we can always see people who have more and the people who have less. And we feel good when we're somewhere, you know, in the middle of that. But now it's, 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 it's made all the worse. And I refer people back to our social media, you know, podcast uh, here. But, you know, the, the fact that we have access to inside the homes of others on a daily basis. And, and, and obviously it's all very organized and presented to us in such a way that we are meant to feel bad and we're, we're meant to aspire to more. And then the advertising that comes at us that, that's meant to make us feel that we don't yet have enough, right? So there's that, that assessment of where the, the middle is is really hard to make based on the information that we give ourselves access to. Whereas if we take the the time to do what you're suggesting, which is to assess more at the, the, the level of actual need. One of the stories, I think it was the second of the more recent of the, the, um, the films, uh, the process that one of the two minimalists uh, went through. So it was uh, Joshua you know, Milburn who, who came to this first and then presented his ideas to Ryan Nicodemus, I think famously over a subway lunch or something like that. But the, what, Joshua said to Ryan as the way of going about implementing minimalism in his life was pack everything up in your house, right? Pack it up as though you're moving. So like ev- everything, like everything, like th- this is the day you're moving. So everything is in a box. Now label it really well because of what's going to happen next. Stay in that place. <laughs> Don't move. But over the next, what was it? Three weeks, something like that. Yeah. Like a month. Something like that. So then draw out from those boxes the things that you are using, right? And o- only in the moment that you need it. Right. So don't, right. don't, 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 don't anticipate, it. don't, don't exactly. go with that, that Marie Kondo thing about thinking, well, you know, I'm, I'm hanging on to this because I might need it because of some fear of the future. Right. Uh, no, no. At the moment, go and draw it out. And so he took those things out. And, and when he looked, you know, and assessed after the end of that three, four week period, you know, he was astonished you know, by all the things that he ha- actually owns that he never, you know, needed in that period. Now you could stretch that. Maybe that's not a realistic time frame. you know, for you or for me, for whatever, you know, maybe there are things that we use very regularly, but it's on a two monthly basis or something like that. But, you know, in any case, you know, expand that model to whatever makes sense, pragmatic sense in your own life. But if you actually do that, what he then said, Ryan said after this, you know, period was, it wasn't even that he didn't use those other things. He didn't miss them, you know? And so he could, and I'm not sure whether he ultimately got rid of 
absolutely everything that was still boxed or whether there was still some other further assessment period. But, but as a starting point for that exercise you're talking about of saying what, what really is enough, it strikes me that's the kind of thing that, that would really, you know, be a sensible way to go about things. Think about all the clothes that we own but never wear. And then, then think of St. Basil the Great saying, you're, you're actually stealing that from people who don't have clothing, right? Or think about all those kitchen gadgets or those drawers full of things that we have that, you know, against a rainy day or whatever, that's never coming that, you know, we, we ultimately don't, you know, need all of that. So that assessment of, of enough is you know absolutely critical here, isn't it? So before we end this episode, Father Jeffrey, uh, I just want to, I, we didn't say at the beginning of the, of the podcast, these are two movies available only on Netflix. Uh, so uh, if you have a Netflix account, uh, the first movie is called Minimalism, came out in 2016. The second movie is called Less Is Now, came out in January of 2021. I think my personal recommendation, Father Jeffrey, would be to watch Less Is Now first. Um, you definitely get more of their story uh, and it's it's more personal uh, and it's more like a special. It's, it's, it's a documentary, a special. It's a little bit of uh, a couple of different things. And then the 2016 documentary is a full on just documentary. That is the, the style. Um, yeah, I agree. But- and I, for the reason I said too before that, um, you know, I think that it's a more balanced presentation of different stories too. I think it, it become it, it seems a more regular thing to do. It seems more compelling for the average person as opposed to kind of holding up these extremes. Uh, the 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 advantage of the earlier documentary, I think, is some of the theoretical. Um, you know, underpinnings to this, as I say, they've got sociologists, we've got neuroscientists and, and, and others who are there giving the kind of psychological, sociological reasoning, you know, behind this, which I think is helpful at a theoretical level. But the, 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 the newer film, I think, says everything you need to and is con- compelling and convicting, you know, enough on its own. And we are running a little overtime for the public episode, but in the private episode, Father Jeffrey, I want to talk a little bit about the intersection of minimalism, particularly with, with Orthodox Christianity, wh- where it works and where it might not work. Uh, maybe what are, what are some of the ways that uh, it was presented in the movies that actually might clash with some Orthodox thinking? Um, I, I, I can think of one particular instance, but uh, we'll get into that. I'm also going to share my online interaction with Joshua Fields Milburn. So I, I asked him a question, he responded, and that'll give us uh, a little bit of uh, fodder to talk about uh, there. So if you want to hear that, then yeah, please become a, a patron of Enacting the Kingdom. You can go to pryingpriest.com support and uh, become a patron, and you'll get not only access to this episode, but our entire backlog of episodes which we're getting i don't know about 25 episodes or so on our on our patreon that are only for our patrons so lots of stuff to dive into there but uh to end this public episode father jeffrey would you uh, i think it would be fun to share maybe one line that really stuck out to us i know we've probably shared a couple already but i'm thinking of one in particular for myself uh, is there a line that in in one of the films that that particularly stuck out to you yeah i suppose the uh, the one that maybe really sticks is we need to learn to love people and use things because if we do the uh, the other way around it's rather disastrous Um, something along those lines so to learn to love people and use things rather than 
loving things and using people, which is ultimately at this, you know, the, the convicting reality of our society is that that's the way we go about it most of the time. Yeah, my the, the line that really stands out to me is from Lessons Now with Ryan Nicodemus, and he says, "This it's not going to be an easy life, but it'll be a simple life. It's not going to be an easy life, but it'll be a simple life." Yeah, yeah, indeed. You've just finished listening to another public episode of Enacting the Kingdom. If you're getting value from this podcast and you'd like to support the show, you can head over to pryingpriest.com to become a patron. Also, five-star ratings with written reviews go a long way to getting the word out there about this show. Also, since Enacting the Kingdom is social media free, any word of mouth recommendations you can make to your friends and family would be greatly appreciated. We'll see you next time.